You guys are too much. God bless you. staff lunch, they brought me some hammer pants, those big balloon pants and the jacket and everything, and somebody had $25 on the table if I came out here with it on, but no, nah, no, nah, we keep it on Jesus, keep it on. <laughs> uh, but so good to be together uh, with you all one more time, um, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, and um, And uh, such an honor to serve you in this capacity uh, one more time. Uh, I won't say last, but, you know, God is in control of that. But I just want to thank you all for uh, welcoming my family and I, making us feel at home. Um, this has really been home for us. And thank you. I just want to say thank you. <laughs> thank you. And I want to say thank you to Pastor Doug and, and Meg. They really welcomed us in. And, Thank you so much. Um, I remember when we first came here, my um, oldest daughter, she refused to like this place. And, um, and she just made a decision in, in her mind. And we were taking a walk because I wanted to help her process it. And she was like, Ugh! and I was like, what's the matter? And she was like, I, I said I wouldn't like this place, but these people are, are so stinking nice. <laughs> And I, I think, you know, most people, when they come here, they feel the love and the acceptance uh, that's here. And that's only by the Spirit of God. And, um, and I really do want to say just thank you so much. You don't know how much it means uh, just to be welcomed and received. And so um, you all will be coming with us. <laughs> uh, keep us in your prayers. And uh, I know that God is going to do great things at Grace, you know, there's so many more of you that when I return to visit, that you'll be serving and you'll be in a place of where you're, you're giving and you're God, what God has placed in you is being a blessing to the community. And so I'm excited for so many of you to see, like when I come back, oh, what's God gonna be doing through you all? Because it doesn't stop here. We go from glory to glory and God's gonna continue to do amazing things through Grace. He's already doing amazing things here and it's great to be a part. 
So we're continuing in our series this morning in First uh, Peter, Everyday Saints. If you have your Bibles, go to First Peter chapter three, Everyday Saints. And the whole idea behind this is that you don't have to be an extraordinary individual to be used by God or for God to have an impact through you. And often we think it's by doing these amazing things that we are giving glory and honor to God, but it's by being faithful in the small things that could have such a huge impact. And so we've been talking about that all of us, because we are believers in Christ Jesus, we are saints. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect, it doesn't mean that we're without flaws, but it means that we are living in a way where we're saying, Jesus, we're gonna follow you, we're gonna continue to lay down our lives for your sake, and whatever you call us to, we wanna say yes to that. So all of us are everyday saints. Last weekend, I talked about what it means to be a family on mission. And we talked about a culture or an environment of a family on mission. Of, you know, when people get around that kind of culture where people are loving one another well, where they're sharing one another's burdens, where they're thinking uh, like kingdom folk, that there is a dynamic that happens that just really speaks to the core of who people are. And they realize, wait a minute, there's something happening here that I haven't experienced. And that's the way it really should be when people get around the family of God. They should realize, oh, this is the family that I've always been longing for. And there should always be a place in our communities for unbelievers looking to come back home uh, to our Father God. Now, this week, we're going to pick it up. Where we end it, we talked about also that a part of our call as a family on mission was to be a blessing. We were blessed to be a blessing. And if I could sum up in a general way all of our callings in life, it would be to be a blessing. That God has put a measure of himself in all of us that when that shines through, it will bless people. Now, when we're talking about living as exiles or being a marginalized people, you know, those who are of the world, they do not always recognize kingdom goodness for goodness. Uh, sometimes they're threatened by it. Uh, sometimes it's the evil one working through them. And so our goodness is not always received. To some, it is the aroma of life. To others, it is evil and they don't understand it. And so some will try to uh, suppress you or do mean things or harmful things to believers because we try to live in Jesus' name. And Peter, when he was writing about that, he said, look, well, he starts off here in verse 13. Let's just read through verse 13 through 22. Peter, he picks it up. He says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is, and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. He is Lord of all. So Peter writes and he says, listen, he says, if you're zealous for good works, what, what kind of harm should come to you because of that? If you're eager and you're excited to do good things, good works for the kingdom, there really shouldn't be any evil that should come toward us or any harm. But he realizes that we live in a dark world. And so he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Now, to me, this means that we should have our eyes and our focus in the right place. Because if our eyes and our focus is on humanity, when we are suffering for doing righteous things, then we will be upset, we will be anger, and we won't have any hope because we will be looking for our reward from human beings. But when our eyes are in the right place, we recognize, wait a minute, God is in control. I'm looking to him. Even if I suffer, I know that the good things that I do, I'm not doing them to please humanity. I'm doing them to please God. And so whether I get accolades or not, it's all for an audience of one. It's all for him. And at the end, I want to hear, well done. And so that's the blessing and that's the reward that we're looking for. And so there are two aspects that I think are in two keys, I think, that when we're experiencing suffering in that kind of way that are important for us as believers. Two keys. And the first key I think that is important if we want to be faithful in those times under suffering, the first thing is hope. Hope is the first key. And this is how I define hope. This is my definition. Have mercy upon me, please. Hope is this, knowing that God is at work behind the scenes for our good and his glory. Hope is knowing that God is at work behind the scenes for our good and his glory. See, if we only keep our eyes on the natural, it looks like all hell is breaking loose. It looks like things are topsy-turvy, like it's one big mess. But when we put our eyes on God and we recognize, oh, wait a minute, God is always weaving something beautiful out of a mess. You know the song that he makes beautiful things out of dust. You know, God is always, he's an artist. He's a creator. 
And so things that look like it doesn't make sense at all, God is weaving something greater than we could imagine. This verse is important uh, that illustrates this. In Romans 8, 28, I'm sure you've heard this verse before, and it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, it didn't say that all things feel good. And it said that it didn't say that all the things that happen to you are good. But God is able to work all of these things out for your good. And see, this is the kind of God that we, that we serve, that when the enemy is working to railroad us or to stop us or keep us discouraged and from bringing the goodness that God has placed inside of us, God is even using that. He's even using that. Even the devil becomes a pawn in God's kingdom. The things that he means to bring harm, God turns it around and uses it for our good. So hope, we must have hope. And hope is not just this mere, oh, things will work themselves out. No, it's God will work it out. My hope is not blind and just, you know, whatever will be, will be. No, my hope is there is a God who is alive and who is active and who is engaged, and he's bringing things to an expected end. The next tool is faith. We've got hope on one hand, and then we've got faith. Now, here's my definition of faith. Once again, have mercy on me. <laughs> faith is acting with assurance and confidence that God is in control. Faith is acting with assurance and confidence that God is in control. Now, this is not, faith is not, you know, some people when they're really scared and they just talk loud, you know. I remember being as a kid, you think somebody's in a house, you hear noise, and so you think if you talk loud, like, oh, I heard that. <laughs> I heard I, somebody up in here. <laughs> I got something, and you know, talking loud, but really scared out of my mind. <laughs> that's, that's not faith. You know, because a lot of people exhibit what appears to be boldness and courage, and it's really not. It's fear. But faith is, okay, if I know that God is working things out to an expected end, I'm going to continue to do what I know to be true. Because he's working, I know that, wait a minute, my reward is coming from him. So I'm going to keep letting this goodness flow. I'm going to keep doing the right thing because you can do what you want to do. You can say what you want to do, but I know that God is in control and that he's working it out. The verse for this is Hebrews 11 and 6, and I'm sure you've heard this. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, a lot of us we believe that God exists. But many of us have this deistic mindset, which we think that, you know, a deist believes that God exists, but they believe that God just 
makes the clock, he winds it up, and he lets it go without being involved. We don't serve a deistic God. We serve a God who creates, and he's engaged in it. The scripture says we must believe that not only does he exist, but we must believe that he rewards those that diligently seek him. And so that means, like, if I'm doing the right thing, I'm, my expectation is of him. I may not see it when I want to. I may not even see it the way that I want to. But it's okay because he's writing the story. And I know if he's writing the story, it's going to be good. It's going to be epic. And so faith says, all right, I can't see the end, but I know the person who writes the end, and I know he's good. And so because he's good, I'm going to take this step. I'm going to take this step. It's like the song that says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth living because he lives. See, that's faith. We know that God exists. We know that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so we can trust in him. Now, I want to give you an example of how this works in the book of Acts here. Let me not rip this page here with the bow tie. I stuck to it. All right, we'll just fold it up like that then. <laughs> if, if the Bible rips in church, rip. Oh, is that a, you know, that, that would be terrible. Um, Paul was on one of his missionary journeys with his uh, partner, Silas. And they were preaching and sharing the good news. And uh, there were these guys who had this girl who was demonized. And she had a, a spirit in her that would tell people what they wanted to hear, fortune teller. And when Paul and Silas were near, she was saying, listen to these men. They're, they're men of God. They're telling you the truth. Now, what she was saying was true. She was saying the right thing, but she had a wrong spirit. And the more that Paul heard this, the more it annoyed him. And finally, he just said, in the name of Jesus, boom, come out. And that spirit came out of her and the fellas who were using her and manipulating her, they were upset because Paul just, you know, messed up their business. And they began to cause a ruckus. And it says that, you know, all of a sudden they caused this uproar that people joined in in attacking Paul and Silas. They ripped their garments and they beat them with rods, all for preaching the gospel, all for preaching good news. And it says that they are, the, the jailer received an order to put them in the inner jail cell, not just the regular jail cell, but put them to where the hardened criminals are. Like, how are you going to be on America's Most Wanted for preaching the gospel? Yes, yes, yes. You know, he, he's right in the inner, inner cell. But listen to what Paul and Silas do. And we're holding in the back of our minds what hope and faith looks like. It says in verse 25 of chapter 16, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, 
so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And it goes on to say that Paul began to preach the word of the Lord to them and that they believed. This Philippian jailer who was about to take his life believed. But let's, let's think through this a little bit. So Paul is getting a beating with rods, him and Silas. And how many of you know this? He's probably not getting beat going, oh, thank you, Lord. I mean, he's probably saying, ouch because it it hurts. I don't know any beating that doesn't hurt. And so he's probably in terrible pain. I mean, getting beat with rods, can you imagine the bruises on his body, the pain that he's enduring? And so when they get put in jail, all it says that about midnight, when I don't even know if they could lay down or sit down because of the bruises, it says that they were praying and singing songs. Songs. I don't know if, you know, I can imagine that if they're praying that somehow they got to hope that, you know what, we're preaching the gospel. We're doing God's work. We know that God is behind the scenes doing something. So maybe they're singing something like, Jesus, Jesus, the darkness trembles. Maybe they're singing something like that. And they're singing. And as they're singing, these people in the other cells are listening to what's going on and probably puzzled. Wait, didn't they just get the fool beat out of them and they over there singing? They, they should be tired of talking about Jesus because that's what got them in here. But they're singing and they're praying and all of a sudden an earthquake happens. The doors were open and the chains fall off. The prisoner... I mean, the, the, the keeper of the jail, um, can't think of his name at the moment, Philip, the, the Philippian jailer, I can't think of his name, but I'm not sure it even mentions his name. Just having a moment right now. But <laughs> this jailer, when he finds out that everybody's gone, he's like, oh, it's over for me. I'm about to take my life. But Paul, who could have seen this as a moment to like, oh, God has gotten me out of here. Silas, Silas let's go. But because of hope and faith, hope of saying, wait a minute, you know, I know God is always up to something. And if we got in this jam because of his name, he must be doing something behind the scenes. And so he begins to preach the good news to this Philippian jailer, the guy who locked him up in the innermost cell before the next day could get started good becomes his brother in Christ. You see, that's kingdom impact when we act, when we live and we have hope that God is at work and we move in faith. It was because of his faith and his trust in God that he and Silas could begin to sing in the midst of a rough time. It's keeping our focus in the right place. You know, there's a story told of a a pianist, famous pianist, he was in town and uh, the auditorium was packed. They were waiting uh, for him to come out and to play some of his masterpieces. 
And while everyone's waiting, somehow this little boy runs up on stage and he gets on the piano and we've all heard this noise. He's bang, bang, bang. And the people are like, hey, will somebody get this kid off stage? Get him off. And people are getting annoyed by it when all of a sudden the, ma my, the maestro comes out and he begins to play beautiful music around the kids banging. And what was causing disruption and annoyance all of a sudden is another masterpiece. And see, I feel like that that's often what the enemy will do when we're trying to move in the right direction. He'll bring annoyance and he'll bring disruption. And we see it all throughout scripture. We have it on record. But God comes along and he begins to make something beautiful out of the mess. This is why we have hope and faith in him, that he is able to work through these things. And something happens because of this faith and this hope. I'm sure the jailer, the jailer wondered, why in the world did you stick around? You could have got out of here. Peter, he says, listen, we must always be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have. We must always be prepared. And Paul was always prepared to share the gospel just as we should, because there are people watching. Just like when Paul and Silas were singing and there were people, the other prisoners, what were they doing? They were listening. See, there's always an audience, always an audience watching you, and it's not because you are center stage, it's just that they're watching you. They may not understand about God, they may not know about God, but because you know, they're watching you. And when you're going through rough times and you're able to put Christ on display, when you're able to put Christ center stage, then they have some questions like, now I'm just, Paul, why, why did you even stay? Why, why were you even singing and praying when you should have been saying ouch all night long? Why, why did you even do that? And Paul begins to respond with good news. Well, let me tell you about the Savior that I found. Let me tell you what he has done for me, how he turned me from dark to light. And I knew that God would show himself in the midst of this. And Paul shares the good news, and this man is so impacted by it that his whole household comes to Christ. People are watching. Are you prepared for their questions? We must be prepared. And it's, it's no harm in asking yourself, man, I wonder what somebody, what I would say if somebody asked me this. It's called being prepared. Are you prepared if somebody asks you why, why you have so much hope? Why, you know, I notice you, go, you wake up early to go to church. Why are you in church every Sunday? And God forbid is that your, your only answer is, is because that's what Christians do, go to church. God forbid that's the only response you have. Hopefully, you, were, you woke up this morning and you pressed your way to get here because God has been good to you and you know what he's done for you and you refuse to stay home. And so hopefully you have a response when people ask because we need to be, be prepared because one day they're going to ask. And we need to be ready, but we need to do it with gentleness and respect. 
Why do you go to church on Sunday? Because that's what a Christian does. You must be a heathen because you don't go. You know, <laughs> you know uh, we, we all can be a little self-righteous sometimes. You know, like, God is on my side. And you need to know him. And this is really good news that we have that when we begin to share it, and I think some, sometimes, honestly, that's why we're allowed to suffer because it makes us human again. <laughs> you know, it, it, it makes us relatable. And so when you're going through pain, somebody else is watching the pain that you go through. And so we can't hide our pain and pretend like everything is perfect, but what we can do is trust God in the pain. I'm sure Paul said, ouch, a bunch of times, you know? And it's okay to say ouch, but his ouch turned into prayer and into songs to God, and he watched God move in the midst of that. And so it's important that as Christians that we remain relatable and touchable uh, because the world is watching, and when we suffer, they feel near to us. Now, back here to First Peter here. I want to finish up here. It's important that we are prepared to give a response to those who are asking. Because hopefully they should be asking some questions about our life. Now, looking at verse, we're going to go to verse 18, where it talks about Christ being our example because Christ also knows what it's like to suffer. And so he is our ultimate example of what it's like, what it's like to suffer for doing the right thing, for doing the God thing. And he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now, Paul writes somewhere else, like Peter does. He says, you know, rarely... Rarely, you might get somebody who will die for a good person. But somebody that's, that gives their life for a low-down, good-for-nothing, nah. You know, they, they might be like, no, 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 take him on out of here. <laughs> you know? But Jesus, the righteous, the ultimate good, gives his life to save wretches like you and I. I mean, so he went through some kind of suffering, some kind of turmoil, some kind of pain for you and I on our behalf. It says, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And then he corresponds that to baptism. Now, there's a lot in this passage. And so there are a couple of things that scholars say about this passage. One of them, when it talks about that he proclaimed to those spirits who were formerly disobedient, uh, some scholars say that when Jesus died, he descended to the realm of the dead. And there he preached the good news to those spirits in prison so they had a chance to hear. Others say that he preached just to those who didn't have a chance to hear in general. And then there are other scholars, this is the last group I'll mention, <laughs> who said it was through his death 
burial and resurrection, that was a message in itself of saying, God has vindicated me. Saying that my being obedient to the Father has proved out to be true. And so I think even in the midst of all of those views, what, what we should keep in mind is he's talking about longevity and staying faithful and looking to God to bring the reward. So Jesus, through his death, through his suffering, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, where he's seated to the right hand of God, now he's seated high above everything. He is Lord of all. But he went through something to get there. And there were moments where he was like, if it be your will, let this cup pass. But then he got to the other side of that and said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so Christ is our ultimate example. Now, he talks about the flood, about Noah. Now, how, how ridiculous is this, if you imagine this, that it's never rained before, and you have this guy with his son, somebody, it's going to rain. It's going to rain, and he's saying this week after week. Day after day, and people go, it's as sunny as ever, Noah. And actually, they're mocking him and making fun of him, and he's building this thing, and like, no, what you building? Oh, it's an ark. A what? And he just keeps on building. Eventually, when the flood comes, those who were laughing and mocking at him and doing him harm were swept away. While Noah and his family of eight, along with all the animals, were saved and made it into the new creation, so to speak, the new world. Now, he says this corresponds to baptism. Now, how does this correspond to baptism? Then he says this baptism saves you. What does he mean by that? Well, baptism is like a type of the ark, that those who enter into it would be saved. Really, Christ is the ark. If you ever have time, Romans 6, I think, illustrates this perfectly. Romans 6 talks about being identified with Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. The picture of baptism that we give so often when you go, when you go down is being united in his death. When you come up, it's being united with him in his resurrection. Now, when he went up and ascended to the right hand of the Father, guess who went up with him? We did, because we are in Christ. I know that we're all here right now, but positionally in Christ, we're with him seated at the right hand of the Father. And what this means is if Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father above angels, demons, principalities, and powers, what it's saying is he is victorious. What that means for us, if we are in him, even though I may be fighting the battle right now, when the ding, ding happens... I'm victorious with him. I, I don't know what the in-between looks like, but I know that in the end, I'm victorious. And so here is faith that I'm on my way there. I've used this example before. If you saw me jump from here to here, you would be like, man, that brother could jump. But it wouldn't take a genius to figure out that I could jump from here to here. Christ has already done the big jump. 
God already gave his only begotten son for you and I. And so everything in between that for him is just peanuts. Now, it's, it looms large for us but because we're in it day to day, but we are victorious. We are victorious in him, and we can keep our eyes on him knowing that he saw, the father saw his son through it, and he's not going to abandon us in the process. And so we can trust him. We can have hope and our expectations be in him no matter how bad it gets. Okay, God, I don't see it, but I'm going to trust that you're working behind the scenes, and I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to continue to walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And your word is clear that the just shall live by faith. And so, God, we, we confess that there are things that we don't understand and things that we don't know how will end. But we do know that you are good. And we do know that your mercy endures forever. And so we put our trust and our hope in you, asking that you would give us the strength and the endurance to stand in the midst of tough times, that we would bring glory and honor to your name, that we would be able to stand as faithful witnesses. And Father, I pray that for those of us who haven't even thought about it, that you would help us to remember to always be ready to share about your goodness and to take advantage of those moments to share the good news with as many as we can. We want to give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are going to take a few minutes and uh, honor, bless uh, G and his family. So staff, elders, if you want to come down, family, if you want to come up here, that would be great. Come along. Do we love this man or what? In this family? Amen. Love your bow tie. Oh, love your bow tie. Too cute. Look at What's up, my man? It even matches. Sounds like I had it planned out or something. So uh, we have some gifts for you. And uh, each of the kids have gifts. Now, here's the good news. Um, you can't open any of them until you're actually in the car. So if you look on the bag, it has a little instruction. So this one says, uh, once you cross into Canada, you can open package one. When you pass, uh, whatever that says, package two. When you get to London, package three. When you get to Hamilton, package four. So basically, your car is going to be a mess by the time you get to the seventh package. But we'll... Give you guys something to do in the car. Um, and then, Jess, I think we have a, uh, a little spa certificate for a spa that's in your new hometown, which, so that's Dorothea. She thinks of those kind of things. Uh, but we want you guys to know we love you. Um, we are ascending church, and God is just showing us that more and more and more. And I'm proud of that. But what comes with sending is sadness because we're going to miss you and we love you. And uh, so we send you with our blessing. And so I'm going to ask John to pray uh, for you. And as he prays for you, I'm just going to put a little oil on all of your foreheads. 
uh, just as our way of anointing you and sending you uh, with our love and our blessing. Um, just so you guys know, G has already agreed to do a wedding uh, back here not too long, so I've already told them just to plan on being here for the weekend and preaching. Is that okay with you guys? <laughs> so uh, we'll get him back here as often as we can, but John's going to pray, and while he prays, I'm just going to put a little oil on your forehead. We love you. Father God, we so thank you for your gift of blessing to us of Gerald and Jessica and their precious family. May they leave knowing that we love them and will miss them. And that we will accept Gerald's challenge to us to act in faith that God is in control with both them and also with us. So Gerald and Jessica, may you know that you're secure in your love of Jesus Christ. May you know that he loves you with the height and depth and breadth that only he could give you. That God has a great plan for you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good, not for evil to give you a future and a hope. So we send you praying. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And all the people said, Amen. 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 Uh, thank you. Thank you. God bless you guys, and uh, have a great weekend. We love you. Don't be wiping that oil off. You need to sleep with that on. Ah, <laughs> uh, thanks, Doug. Far